Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that God is, that God exists, and that he is a rewarder. Everybody say rewarder. Of those who diligently seek him. Now I want you to look at Mark chapter 11. Oh no, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Mark 10, 17. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth and up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you still lack. It's one thing you lack. Go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Everybody say, come follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Now, we've been talking about the characteristics of God through the series entitled God Is. And we have discovered, number one, that God is, that he is Yahweh. He's always been, always will be. He's self-existent. No one created him. He is above and beyond. We learned that he is love. We learned that God is able, that God is faithful. And last week, we learned that God is holy, that he is set above. He, there's no one who ever can compare to him. And that we recognize the holiness of God and we recognize he is to be reverently worshiped and loved and adored because he is God. But this week, I want to discover another attribute or at least another desire that God has. And that is that God is a rewarder. Did you know that God loves to reward his people? I mean, that's all over scripture. Colossians chapter three says, whatever you do, do your work heartily for the Lord rather than for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is in the Lord Christ whom you serve. Matthew chapter 10 Jesus said, he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives one of these little ones at a hope day um, uh, outreach a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Now we do these hope day outreaches not because we're going to get something, but because we want to reflect the love of Jesus. We want to reach people. But God says... Every time you do something, I want you to know that I'm watching you. And the Bible says that he sees every deed we do and he will reward us for all that we do on this earth. Somebody help me out and say, thank God. He's a rewarder. Matthew 19, Jesus said, 
And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. The reward of leaving and cleaving and following the Lord. And then Paul the Apostle says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but all those who love his appearance. Did you know that there's a reward just for those people that are so in love with God that they can't wait for Jesus to come back? Come on. And First Peter says, and, and the chief shepherd, when he appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. And I love Revelation 22, 12. Behold, Jesus said, I'm coming quickly and my reward, everybody say, my reward. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Notice the phrase, according to what he has done. So God's watching, he's keeping a record and he's going to reward his people. And in this story, there's a young rich ruler who comes to Jesus and the Bible says he kneels before Jesus and he says to him, good teacher, tell me, how can I inherit eternal life? Now, that, that struck me when I was reading that because here's a young guy. He's a, he's a young, rich ruler. What does that tell you? It tells you that he didn't work for his money. It tells you that he didn't save up his money, but that he inherited all of that from his daddy. Why? Because his daddy had a PhD. Papa has dough. And he gave his children this inheritance. He gave his son, maybe it was his firstborn, and his firstborn now moves into power. He moves into position, and he's got all of this wealth. He's got all of these properties, but there's something missing in his life. How do we know that? Because he comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, I've inherited all this stuff, but how in the world can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know what you have to do. you got to be a good boy. you got to do all these things. You've got to honor your father and your mother. You've got to make sure that you follow all the commandments. And this young man said, man, I followed all of those things to the T. I've been a righteous person when it comes to all these things. And Jesus says, but there's one thing that you still lack. There's one thing that's missing in your life, and that one thing is the key to eternal life. That one thing is the key to transforming your heart and your life. That one thing, that one thing that you're missing has to be in place so that you can understand that you can't earn it in the first place. Yes, you need to inherit it, but it's all about your heart condition. And so Jesus now, he says to the young man, I'm going to give you a test. I'm going to make you a deal. He said, I want you to give everything you have. I want you to give it all to the poor, and I want you to come follow me. Now, Jesus is actually giving this young man a trade-off. He's making a deal. Remember, there was a show. I think it's still on today. Let's make a deal, right? And people do the funniest and the silliest things when they want to get on TV. Did you ever notice that? You know, when there's like a news reporter, and somebody's behind them like, hi, mom, hi, mom. 
People do the strangest things to get on TV. Not only do they do the strangest things to get on TV, but they do the strangest thing when there's something that they can gain. And so they all dress up in these silly costumes and the game show host calls them up, you know, and there's this lady that runs up, yes, yes, you know, and she comes up and he's got a little box in his hand and that little box has something in the box. And he says to the woman, listen, in this box, there might be something really good. He said, but... I'm going to make you a deal. You could take the box or you could take what's behind the curtain. And she looks at the crowd and the crowd goes, take the curtain, take take, take the curtain. Okay. So she takes the curtain, right? So before they open the curtain, the, the guy takes the box and he opens the box. And in the box, there's a trip to Hawaii. You could stay there for one month. All food and all expenses paid trip to Hawaii. And she said, oh boy, I hope there's something better behind that, that, that curtain. And they open the curtain and there's a goat, you know, and just eating them. <laughs> And in this story, Jesus is actually making a deal with this young man. He's saying, you make a trade-off, and it's your choice. You choose. You choose what you really want. Because actually, the truth is, the problem with this young man was that there was something that was possessing his life. Now, let me, let me tell you something. I have not met a lot of people that were demon-possessed. I have met some. And I have prayed for some, and some of them were delivered from demon possession. I was in, in, in Argentina, saw a lot of that. We prayed for people here in the church, there were a few people, and I've seen a few of that in my lifetime. But let me tell you, I haven't seen a lot of people that are demon possessed, but I've seen a lot of people that are possessed by possessions. Mm. That their possessions possess them, that they cling to their possessions. And their possessions become their God. Wealth becomes their source of identity. Wealth becomes their source of joy. Wealth becomes number one in their life. And the truth is, Jesus really wasn't so concerned about how much money this young man had. In fact, the truth of the matter is, Jesus wasn't really worried that he was rich. You know, some people say that if you're a Christian, you need to be poor. That's not true. God doesn't want you to be poor just to be poor. In fact, God loves to bless people. I see in the scriptures where Abraham obeyed the Lord and God blessed the socks off for Abraham and Abraham was a rich man. That's not the purpose of this parable. That's not the purpose of this story. And see, the truth of the matter is, is Jesus is actually saying, there's something with your heart that I need to get to. There's an issue of your heart. There's something that's controlling your life more than I'm controlling your life. There's something that's controlling your heart. You've got some treasures that are stored up in your heart. And where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. And as a result of that, I can't really do a work in your life because you're possessed by your possessions. They've bound you and you can't let them go. They have become the idols of your life. They've become the, the gods of your life. And let me tell you, if you keep on claiming to those things, they will leave you empty and dry and drag your soul to hell. You know, a century ago, missionaries, when they went overseas, they would actually pack their coffins with their possessions and ship their coffins over to Africa and Asia. They would do that because they knew that they were dying to themselves and they would never come home again. 
They'd never see their family again, but they were okay with that, even though it was a struggle, because they had already dealt with the question about who was Lord. They had already dealt with the question about dying to themselves. In fact, A.W. Milne was one of those missionaries, and he set sail for Hybrides in South Pacific, knowing full well that there were headhunters in that area, and every missionary that went over to that place were murdered, martyred by these headhunters. But he was, he was really prepared to go, and he wasn't afraid, because he had already died to himself. He was living dead. And his coffin was packed. And for 35 years, he lived among that tribe and loved them. And when he died, tribe members buried him in the middle of their village and inscribed on his epitaph on his tombstone, when he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. And I love the book All In by Mark Battison. And he writes in the book, when did we start believing that God wants to send us to safe place and do easy things? That faithfulness is holding the fort. That playing it safe is safe. That there's any greater privilege than sacrifice and that radical is anything but normal. Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Faithfulness is not holding the fort. It is storming the gates of hell. And the will of God is not an insurance plan. It's a daring plan. The complete surrender of your life to the cause of Christ isn't radical, it's normal. And it's time to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. It's time to go all in and all out for the all in all, pack your coffins. Let me pray for a minute. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would help us to understand the depth of this story and how it relates to our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Why is this story in the Bible? Because the truth is, it forces us to ask the hard discipleship question in our own personal life. Who's number one? What am I holding on to that I will not let go of if God wants me to give it up, like Abraham? What am I holding on to that I'm not willing to give up if God asks me to give it up? And what am I willing to trade off in order to keep what I already have? You see, when we look at this story, we, we want to sympathize with this rich young ruler. Come on, let's be honest. We want to sympathize. Like, why in the world? God, come on, cut this guy a break. Let him have just a little bit of his money. Because after all, we could really relate to this story. I don't know about you, but we could really relate to this story. And the older we get, the more we can relate to this story. Why? Because we work our tails off. We work hard. We work hard in business because we want to be promoted. We work hard in business because we want to be secure. We want to leave something for our children. It's, it's normal. It's natural. And the older we get, the more concerned we get with that. In fact, I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and say, you're getting old. You're getting old. <laughs> in fact, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, listen, you're getting very old. In fact, you're becoming vintage. Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, listen, you're getting so old that you're becoming a classic. And you see, the thing is, we, we, we want to relate to this story, and so we feel bad because we're thinking, why would Jesus ask him to give everything away? But that's not the real question. The real question is this. 
Why would this young man not want to give everything away for something better that he could get? And it wasn't really that the young man was asked to give everything away. It was the fact that the young man traded everything that God wanted to give him. He traded the very best for things that rot in a grave. The things that rot in the grave of materialism, in the grave of possessions, in the grave of those things that we can't take with us to heaven anyway. And I, I suppose if Jesus were to ask us some questions, if, if Jesus was to offer us what he was offering this young man, think about what Jesus was offering this young man. I mean, if Jesus were to tell you today, if you follow me, you will get a front row seat to every miracle I would ever perform. You'll, you'll see me turn water into wine. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I don't drink wine. We don't drink wine in this church. Yes, no. You'll get to walk on water. You'll, you'll get to heal the blind and raise the dead. If Jesus told you, if you follow me with all your heart, I'll use you to go rescue those who are bound for a Christless hell. I will use you to preach the life-changing gospel. If Jesus told you, if you follow me with all your heart, when I return, I will bring with me rewards for every deed that you've ever done on this earth. And the Bible tells us that eye is not seen nor ear is heard, nor is it entered into the heart of man what God is preparing for those who love him. Wow. And, and Paul the Apostle says this, this, this present suffering could never con compare to the future glory that will be revealed in us. What would you do? Well, that's exactly what was on, on the line for this rich young ruler. He couldn't obey Jesus when Jesus gave him the, the, the change of a lifetime, the commandment of a lifetime, the, the charge of a lifetime. Jesus said, there's one thing that you still lack, one thing that's keeping you out of the kingdom, one thing that's preventing you from receiving the incredible rewards that I have stored up for you, one thing that you lack, a willingness to surrender everything to me and come follow me. So I want to ask you a question this afternoon. Are you really following Jesus or are you wanting Jesus to follow you? So that's a, that's a big question. See, the American gospel says that, that God was created to bless us. And if we notice in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, we understand the context. And, and we've got to understand the context of Hebrews. Because if we don't understand the context of Hebrew, if we don't understand what Jesus is saying, if we don't understand what the writer of Hebrews is saying, we're going to miss the whole point of this story. Why? Because the truth of the matter is most Christians believe that God was created to bless us, that God exists to bless us, that the world revolves around us, God revolves around us, and, and now we've got TV preachers. In fact, this morning, I got on about 5 o'clock in the morning, I turned the TV on just to kind of see if I could find the preacher that was right on. And so I turned on the TV, and, and, I, and I watched one preacher after another. You know, it's the first guy on TV. He's got that really big church, and he smiles a lot, and he tells everybody, this is going to be your best day yet. You, you, you exist for God so that God can bless you, and God exists to bless you, and it's going to be a good day, and it's going to be a good life because, you know, all you have to do is apply a little bit of effort, and God's going to really bless you big. All you have to do is give a dollar, and God will give you $1,000 because he's come, he's come up with a formula for God to 
bless you because it's all about God. He exists to bless you. And then I turned to another channel and there was another TV preacher. I turned to four channels, four different preachers, and I couldn't hear one preacher. I didn't hear one sermon about the fact that Jesus said, you must die to yourself, pick up your cross and come follow me. Now I want you to know why that's serious. I want you to know why that's really important. Because we have created this American gospel that says that God exists to bless us. Well, let me tell you something today. Let me give you a newsflash. We don't exist so that God can bless us. We exist to bless God. We were not created for God to bless us. We were created so that we could glorify God. We exist to bless God. We exist to glorify God. We are the clay. He's the potter. He does whatever he wants to do in our life. And when we recognize that everything that we read in the scriptures, if we start with that preposition, when we start with the fact that we were created for God, to serve God, love God, and bless God, every time we read something in the scripture, it's always about God empowering us to expand his kingdom. It's always about God blessing us so that we can be a blessing to somebody else. It's always God providing for us so that we can provide for somebody else. It's always about God being glorified. It's always about us using our resources and using our talents and using our abilities all for the glory of God as we expand this kingdom and we wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we're good and done with all that we've done on this earth, then we can enjoy the rewards that God has for us in heaven. But if we say that God exists to bless us, then everything we read in the scripture is tainted and twisted with the understanding that we apply our faith so that we can get more for ourselves. Why is that important? Because when we look at the book of Hebrew and we look at uh, chapter 11, the, 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 the book of Hebrew chapter 11 verse one says, and faith is, faith is being absolutely, totally sure of the things we hope for, certain of the things we cannot see. And it's in the context of men and women who are willing to give their very lives for the gospel that, that that scripture is written that you, if you have faith and you believe God, then you will be a diligent seeker of God. And what does it mean to be a diligent seeker of God? It doesn't mean that I seek God so that I can get something from God. It means I seek God because I wholly trust him. I wholly want to obey him. I totally want to serve him. I want everything I do to glorify his name and I want to establish his kingdom. Come on, somebody. And as a result of that, I apply my faith and believe that God has a call on my life, that God has a command in my life and God challenges me to join him on his journey of being and doing that very thing that touches his heart more than anything else, and that is to reach the lost and be a servant of the king. And so if you look in Hebrews chapter 11, you find a list of unbelievable people, ordinary people, but unbelievable people in their faith. And it's a list of people and here's the way it, 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 it talks about these people. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, all these people, what people? <laughs> Noah, who built an ark. 
Noah, who was obedient to God, God says to Noah, Noah, I'm going to wipe out everybody on the face of this earth, but I'm going to preserve a line. And Noah, I want you to be obedient. I want you to trust me. And so Noah starts building the ark. And how long does it take for Noah to build the ark? It takes a hundred years until God is good and ready to do what he has to do. But Noah, he keeps on pounding. He keeps on driving those nails into those planks. And he keeps on building that ark. And he keeps on working at it. Everyone's laughing around. But he keeps on obeying the Lord. Why? Because he's a diligent seed of God. And diligently seeking God means I trust God with all my heart and it's turned into obedient servant acts to, uh, towards the king because whatever he says, I'm going to do it because I know he knows best. And in the end, he's going to bring the reward. Eye is not seen nor ear is heard, nor is it entered into the heart of man what God is preparing for those who love him, who diligently seek and obey him and trust him. And so he keeps on driving those nails into the planks and then the water starts rising and rising and rising and rising. And because he was a man who diligently sought the Lord. He was a man who trusted the Lord. He did what was right in the sight of God. He did what was right in the sight of his children. And when that time came, when God was going to judge the world and that water rose up, he got into the ark with his family. He saved his family and he made a legacy of blessing. Why? Because he was willing to diligently seek the Lord. And that's what the word of God says about rewarding those who diligently seek after God. And I'm telling you today, dad, when it talks about seeking the face of God, when it talks about being a diligent seeker of the Lord God. It's saying you trust God so much that you're going to build an ark for your family. You're going to be faithful to God because one day God's going to reward you with saving your family and causing your family to have a line, a legacy of blessing in their life. Somebody help me out and say amen. Hebrews chapter 11 is actually a list of people like Enoch who walked with God who walked with God and he was no more because he walked with God by faith. See, it's always a walk of faith. The Bible says the righteous shall live by faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is a list of, has a list of people like Abraham where God calls Abraham and he tells Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave everything you have. Now Abraham, in, at, at the point in his life, he already was set he already had everything he needed, but he said, Abraham, if you, if, you, if you believe me and you trust me and you listen to me and you obey me, I'm going to lead you into something that's going to reward the whole world. You will be the father of many nations. And Abraham, because he's a diligent seeker of God, he trusts God with all of his heart. He doesn't lean on his own understanding. He emphatically obeys the Lord. He leaves everything and God blesses him in a big way. And then when he receives that blessing from God, his son, God says, I want you to take your son. I can't fathom this. I can't understand this. I can't even wrap my mind around it. I want you to take your son. I want you to go on the hill and I want you to sacrifice your son. And, and Abraham says, God, I don't understand it. I can't understand why you'd ask me to do this, but I trust you emphatically. I will obey you. I will obey everything you've told me to do. And he climbed up that mountain knowing that God could even resurrect his son, that God would provide. And on that day, God showed that he was Jehovah Jireh. He was the God who provides the reward. Come on, somebody. You see, we've got to have that faith that trust in God, that if God wants us to do something, he's going to get us to the other side. And when we get to the other side, his reward will be in our hand. See, God loves to reward his people. Peter understood this. When Peter said, praise be to God, the father of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and into an inheritance that can never perish Spoil or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in 
these last days. Paul the apostle understood that as he's coming to the end of his life. And Paul the apostle says, I have fought my fight. I have run my race. I have kept the faith. Now, because of that, there's a crown of righteousness that awaits me. And so we recognize that when it talks about rewards, God is talking about eternal rewards. But but let me suggest to you today that there are not only eternal rewards for following Christ, just kind of taking all that we have and laying it at the feet of King Jesus. But let me suggest to you today that there are earthly rewards that are so far greater than anything that money could ever buy. I mean, I think about the fact that Jesus says to this young rich ruler, if, if you obey me and you, you, you reject clinging to anything but me and make me Lord of your life and you come follow me, you will be on the adventure of your life. And I thought about it. My beautiful wife was sitting in the first service right there. And I turned and I spoke to my beautiful wife for a few moments in the middle of the first service. And I said, Lisa, I'm going to make you Lisa. You're pretty. No, I'm talking to you, young man. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) She was sitting right there. And I said, Lisa, I said, we've been on quite a journey together. You see, I came to know Jesus when I was 19 years old in this church. And I had I'd grown up in this church, and when I was 11 years old, God touched me. And God filled me with the Spirit, and God saved me. And I remember being in a church, not this particular church at that moment, and God showed me a vision that I'd be a preacher one day and, and that God would use me in a great way. But I ran from the call of God. I was, a, I was a Jonah in my life, and I ran from the call of God until I was 19 years old. I didn't know if I wanted to give up the world. I didn't know if I wanted, I I was clinging to the world. I was clinging to the things of this world and it was always leaving me empty and dry. But man, I just kept on running after it, looking for something that I, I would never find until at 19 years old, I quit running and I came to this altar and I said to Jesus, Jesus, you have all of me, Jesus. Lord, I lay it all on the line. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'm going to be obedient to you. And I remember the day that God called me and he told me, he said, and he didn't call me on the phone and he doesn't call me Pastor Steve, but, but he, he spoke to me in my heart and he said, I want you to leave your job. I had just gotten a really good job in the city. I want you to leave your job. I just, I just actually moved into my home. And uh, we were kind of happy in this little home that we had. We bought this home. It was a great, we were 20 years old. I had gotten married when I was 20 years old. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. (laughs) Too young, too young. How old are you, Nami? 21? 23, okay, you're good, you're good, you're good. And I remember we were just in that little home. I had my great job and, and God put a burden in my heart, put a passion in my heart to do the work of the kingdom, to, to give up everything and follow Christ no matter where he led me. And I remember we packed up our little U-Haul truck. My wife and I, never forget that day. And we got in that U-Haul truck and we said, God, Lord, we're gonna trust you, God. We don't know where you're leading us, Lord, but we're gonna take one step at a time, God, and we're gonna believe that you've got something better. You've got a reward for us for just obeying you, Lord God, and the reward has been that God has taken me on the adventure of my life, and now I can look back, and I don't regret one moment, one one second of giving my life to Jesus, because now I can look back and see a line of people, a sea of people that God touched, because I don't know how it happened, 
happens every Sunday, but through my stammering lips, God touches my voice and he touches my words and it touches the heart of somebody and somebody gets saved and somebody gets uh, transformed by the power of God and that man or that woman begins to pour in the life of their children and so on and so on and so on. I thank God that God has put me on this journey of faith and now I can say that there may be hundreds, thousands of people that are in heaven today. Maybe I didn't reach all of them, but I reached one of them and that one person reached another one and another one and another one and God has written their names in the Lamb's book of life and there's something that God did in their life that changed the whole direction of their life, changed the whole direction of their family and now they've passed their faith on to somebody else and so on and so on and so on and I think of all the countries we've been in our in our life. I think of the churches that we planted around the world. I think of the Teen Challenge uh, centers that we built around the world. I think of Hope Day and all the churches today that are connected to Hope Day and the 57,000 people that we've served in the name of Jesus and the 2,100 people that gave their lives to Jesus and the 14,000 people that we wrapped our arms around and we said, I love you, man. It's been an exciting journey of seeing all the adventures that God has put in my life. Let me tell you something. When you step out in faith, it might be scary and it might be a place in your life and you say, God, I don't know how and I don't know when and I don't even know why, but God, I'm going to trust you and God will take you on this adventure and you'll look back at your life and you say, thank God that I was obedient to the call of God in my life. Hallelujah! I looked at my sweetheart and I said, Lisa, it's been so worth every moment because we have had the reward of Jesus giving us peace, a peace that the world can never give me, a peace that money could never buy me, that when I'm going through the, the most difficult times of my life, when I lose my brother, when I lose a loved one in my life, when I lose something in my life, I can go to Jesus, Jehovah Shalom, and he gives me a peace that the world could never give me. There's a joy in my life that's unspeakable and full of glory. It's not contingent on happiness. It's not contingent on my circumstance. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. I get to be with God every day of my life. You see, one of the most incredible things of all, one of the greatest rewards is found in Genesis chapter 15 that God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, listen, you've obeyed me. You've listened to me and I want you to know now I'm going to become your shield and I'm going to become your reward. Let me tell you, there's so many rewards. The reward of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. The reward of a good name. The Bible says a good name is more precious than gold and silver. There's the influence that we can have in our life towards other people that when I die one day, I'm praying and believing that there's going to be some people around my gravesite, just a couple of people around my gravesite, and they're going to say, that guy, he influenced my life. That guy said something. That guy did something that changed the direction of my life. He influenced my life. There's the reward of legacy, of being able to pass on to my children a legacy of faithfulness, of knowing God. That my grandfather, who, who came from Italy, that didn't have a whole lot, but gave his life to Jesus, he poured his life into my mom, and she poured her life into me. 
and I pour my life into my daughters, and my daughters pour their life into their children, and I have the reward of legacy, leaving a lasting legacy. See, one day I'm going to be around that dinner table, and the Bible says I'm going to have gray hair. I'm waiting on that one. I can wait on that one. I can wait on that one. But I'm going to have gray hair, and I'm going to have a family. The reward of seeing my family around the dinner table, Anthony. The reward of seeing my family around the dinner table. John, you know what I'm talking about. And all our children serving Jesus. Greatest reward of all. Hallelujah. There it is, John. There's your reward. There's the reward of healing that money can't buy when the doctor says no. Jesus says yes. Hallelujah. There's a reward of restoration that God is restoring my life. He's restoring my emotions. He's restoring my spiritual vigor. There's power over sin that I'm free. I'm free from drugs. What a reward that I have that I don't have to do drugs to make myself happy and high, that I don't have to drink alcohol, that I don't have to do things to make myself happy. I have the reward of the joy of the Lord. And I think the greatest thing of all is the intimacy that I share with my father, that he becomes the greatest reward of all, that Jesus says, come follow me, that Jesus today, this afternoon saying, come, come follow me. Leave all the things that you cling to. Leave all the things that you have made your God in your life and just come, come follow me. Come follow me into my presence. Come follow me on this incredible journey. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Come, come follow me into the chambers of intimacy. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes that will stumble. One thing I ask of the Lord, this one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And in my day of trouble, he will hide me in his secret place. Hallelujah. I will dwell in the house of God. So, so, so we take our cue from the story of the rich young ruler. What does it mean to be a diligent follower of Christ? It means we give everything to God, everything. We lay everything at the altar. God becomes number one in our life. God gets first place. God gets all of my heart. God is Lord over every area of my life. He's not just Savior. He doesn't save me just from hell. He doesn't give me life insurance from hell, but he comes Lord over every area of my life. God gets to call the shots in my life. Nothing is held back from God. I've laid everything at the altar. And so let me ask you a question today. Is God number one in your life? Have you laid everything at the altar? And Jesus says, come follow me. Jesus said, if you really want to be my disciple, deny yourself, pick up your cross and come follow me. So with every head bowed, every eye closed in this place today, there comes a time in all of our lives, as Mark Battison says, you need to put Isaac on the altar like Abraham. So what's your Isaac in your life? What's the one thing that you're holding on to so tightly that if God took it away, you'd be angry at him? I mean, think about that. 
There comes a time in our life when we need to throw down your staff like Moses. What was the staff? What's the staff in your life? What's the one thing in your life that you're leaning on in life that you're dependent on more than God? It could be your job. It could be your skill. It could be your money. It could be your self uh, identity. What's that one thing you lean on like a staff that you need to throw down? Here's the, the amazing thing about this story is I, I, I want to think, it, it, it doesn't play itself out like this, but I want to think that, that if, if this young man would have said, I throw the staff down of wealth at your feet, Jesus, I wonder if Jesus would have picked it back up like he did with Moses and said, okay, here's the staff back again. I was just looking to see if you would be willing to give it up like Abraham who takes his son to the mountain and said, Lord, I'm willing to give up anything because you're Lord over everything. There comes a time in our life when we need to burn the plowing equipment like Elijah. What's the one thing that's holding you back from going all in for God? You need to burn the plowing equipment like Elijah said, I'm not going back. There comes a time when we need to climb the cliff like Jonathan. What's the one thing God is saying that you need to be daring and trusting him about? That you need to step out in faith and really believe God for. That you need to trust him in your life to make that faith move. There comes a time when we need to get out of the boat like Peter. What's the one thing that you need to step out, step into that will take you to a new place in God? It may be simply coming to Grow University on Wednesday night. It may simply say, I'm all in, I'm all out for the all in all. See, there comes a moment when we throw caution to the wind. There comes a moment when you need to go all in. There comes a moment when you need to burn the ships. There comes a moment, that moment in your life when it's all or nothing. It's now or never. As Jesus said, now is the day. That's what it means to be a diligent follower of Jesus. It means we trust him with all our heart. We obey him sincerely. We totally divest ourselves of ourselves and we follow Jesus completely with reckless abandonment. So I'm going to ask you a question today. It's going to be different. I'm not going to ask you the question, if you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? I'm going to ask you this question. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you willing today to lay everything down and come follow Jesus? To come follow Jesus where he leads you. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you got to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and come follow me. He said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he forfeits his soul? You have a trade-off. There's one thing that Jesus will never take away from you, and that's your free will. You choose today who you will follow. But you're here today, and you say, Pastor Steve, I need to make Jesus Lord of my life. I need to lay everything down at the feet of Jesus and come follow him 100%. If that's you today, I want you to stand right now. I want you to stand all across this place today. Those that are watching via live stream today, you might be in your living room. Stand right now. Say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. I want you to stand in front of all these people and say, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to follow Jesus. Anybody? Who needs to do that? God bless you. Anybody else? I need to follow Jesus with my whole heart. I need to know God. Anybody else? You stand. I'll wait. 
as the Holy Spirit begins to talk to you, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to your heart today. Say, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. The Bible says of those people in Hebrews, if they look back, they had an opportunity to go back to their old country, but they were looking ahead to something different, something new, something that God had promised them. You say, Pastor, I need Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. I want you to stand right now. I have decided to follow Jesus. Now, maybe you're already believers and you've already made, you've crossed the river into the promised land. But you know that there's something you're still holding on to that you need to bring before the Lord today. It's a relationship. It's an ungodly relationship. It's something that you use to create a sense of security in your life. But God is saying, I want you to be willing to lay it down and follow me. Maybe it's ministry. Maybe God's saying, listen, you need to trust me. Oh, maybe some of you, you already did that. It didn't work out exactly the way you wanted. You keep on trusting him. You keep on believing him. You keep on relying on the fact that God said, and God's opening, and God's closing, and God's using. But today you say, I'm, le- I'm leaving yesterday behind, and I'm moving into a new future, a new destiny of following Jesus. I want you to stand right now. Anybody else, quickly, before we leave, before we move, before we go on.